Hello and welcome to episode 57 of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 11 from The Lady of the Lake. You know what that means, chapter 11. That means after this, we have one more. We've got one more to go until we finish the main series. So um, that's that's wild. That's a that's a thing. That's I didn't think it would happen. I'm not going to get into the whole discussion again of um, how time goes fast. I've, I've beaten that dead horse enough. Anyway, um, so I'm going to go through the recap of the characters that we're going to talk about in this chapter, uh, where we left off with them. I'll give you a brief summary of what happens in this chapter, and then I'll give you the breakdown on everything that happens. Um, yeah, so I felt like there was something I was going to tell y'all. I really thought I was going to tell you guys something. I can't remember what it is now. Damn, I'm going to remember it after I record this or after I upload it. And, <laughs> you know, if I remember, if it's important enough, I'll just, I'll, I'll let you know on the next episode. Good goodness. Okay, here comes the recap. So we left off with Geralt, Yen, and Ciri after they defeated Vilgefortz and Boneheart in Stiga Castle. After the defeats, as well as the death of the company members deaths of the company members, whatever. Uh, Geralt and Ciri fought Skellen's men side by side until Emperor Amir and his army showed up, arrested Skellen, and had a private talk with Geralt. And that's um, Emperor Amir had a private talk with Geralt, not Emperor Amir and his army. In this private talk, we learn that Amir is actually Ciri's father, that he still intends on marrying her, and that Geralt and Yennefer need to die. Geralt and Yen accept their fate. Ciri reluctantly accepts that she needs to go with Amir, but the Emperor changes his mind and allows Ciri to return to Geralt and Yen, who are now allowed to live. Well, that was chapter 10. Here's what happens in... I'm sorry, no, that was chapter 9. Here's what happens in chapter 11. Geralt, Yen, and Ciri visit places where she can mourn her dead friends and get revenge on those who were complicit in the evils committed against her. Yennefer gets summoned by the Lodge to answer for her abandonment and to bring Ciri to them. She agrees, but asks that they let Ciri and Geralt spend more time together first. Yennefer takes off, and Geralt and Ciri head to Tucson, where they see Dandelion facing a public execution for Lise... I'm going to butcher the... It's a French thing. Uh, Lise Majesté? Um, I'm not even going to keep going. That's the only time I'll say it. <laughs> uh, that's what he was on... Um, that's what he was about to get executed for. That, among a few other things. At the last minute, the Duchess sent someone to stop the execution and instead banish the bard. Geralt, Ciri, and Dandelion travel back north until Yennefer summons Ciri. Ciri promises Geralt they'll see each other again in Rivia in six days. Geralt and Dandelion continue traveling toward Rivia when they see the forced repatriation of Nilfgaardian settlers who were treated not too kindly by the officers overseeing the move. Later, Ciri meets with the Lodge, who tell her she will become a paramour of Tancred Tyson so that she can bear his child. 
Seeing that they're not giving her a choice, she agrees as long as they let her temporarily return to Geralt. The Lodge votes on whether or not they'll allow her to do so, and the votes are in her favor, so she and Yen take off toward Rivia. Alright, backing it up, bringing it to the beginning of the chapter, going forward for the discussion. Um, the first place that they arrive on this tour, this uh, apology tour, revenge tour, um, grieve, grievance tour, uh, the first place they go is Jealousy, and that's where the rats were killed by Boneheart. Uh, they come across a crippled man. His nickname is Pegleg, but his real name is uh, Aristoteles, spelled like that, Aristoteles Bobek, and he's the local beggar and philosopher. Aristoteles sounds like Aristotle's and he's a philosopher. Uh, there is a physician in the previous chapter called Oppenheimer, which sounds similar to Oppenheimer, and that character was in the same part where there were mentions of something getting blown up badly. So I think Sepkowski was on a roll with the references to real life historical figures. Um, but Pegleg, uh, that's what we'll call him for the little bit of time we talk about him. Um, Siri asks Pegleg if he recalls the killing of the rats and if he knows where they were buried. And he takes them, he does know the stuff, he takes them to the town's graveyard where all the rats were buried uh, with the help of the whole town. But mostly uh, it was owed to the widow Gulu and Nyklar. So Nyklar, uh, we did meet him. He was the guy who delivered the letters for Boneheart. Uh, I think Boneheart had a letter sent to Huvenigel and Claremont. And um, the other letter was sent to the blacksmith where Siri got her sword from. Um, so that's where we met Nyklar. He was telling the story about when he saw Boneheart to Tawny Owl, when he was brought into Tawny Owl to be questioned about um, what was going on with Boneheart and Siri because um, Tawny Al had sent Boneheart to kill Siri and that hadn't happened. So he was investigating and that's one of the witnesses. So he said, um, Pegleg said that they did this because Gulu, the widow, was a very sincere person. So it was just kind of in her nature to do that. And Nyklar, when we met him, it was brief, but uh, he, he, he didn't seem like a really nice person. He didn't seem absolutely terrible, but, uh, he was just kind of crude. And, um, but the reason he helped with the burial as much as he did was because he was being tormented by nightmares until he gave the rats a decent burial. Um, uh, but they're both dead now. Both of these two people that did this nice thing, Gulu died of uh, pneumonia and Nyklar uh, died as a soldier in the war. So Siri believes that they died because destiny tied them to her. Um, which you could make that argument. Maybe that is the truth. That's what she believes, at least. Um, so Siri spent some time at the burial site of the rats, and it's this very emotional moment for her, and Geralt and Yen wait quietly while she has this moment of silence, and what we can hope is that this gives her a little bit of peace, probably nowhere close to what she needs to fully recover from everything, but a little bit of peace is better than none. So hopefully she got this nice little moment to grieve her friends at the site where they were buried. And um, maybe that can help her at least just a little bit. Um, and it's interesting too, because when we uh, meet Siri, or not meet her, when we see her in Kaer Morin for the first time, she is um, 
we see her with Triss, and they're entering the castle, and there's the skeletons out, right outside the castle um, that were left there as a reminder for this um, storming of Kaer Morin. That's not really explained in that much detail, but Siri doesn't like it, and she says to Triss, like, they should be buried. Like, I don't, I don't like that they're left out here to just be on display like this. They should have had a proper, proper burial. And then later on, she actually has a moment where she thinks back to that. She ha thinks back to that memory, and she thinks that, no, that was stupid. Like, who cares about that? Doesn't matter. And now she, I think she's coming back around full circle or she's, you know, thinking like this, that actually is important. That is something that is important to her. So before they leave jealousy, Yennefer tells Pegleg that grace, gratitude, and reward have befallen the settlement for the burial mound that they created and for the human dignity and decency uh, that Pegleg had shown in this moment. So um, based on what happens next, I think what is being implied here was if they didn't bury the rats and if Pegleg wasn't so kind to Siri just now, uh, the three of them, Carol, Yen, Siri, were probably going to destroy the whole town. They probably came there to see what was up, get an assessment of the situation, and then um, leave or commit some sort of revenge um, based on what Yennefer says, uh, that's what I think we're supposed to believe and based on what they do next, because the next place they go to is Claremont. That's where Siri was forced to fight in the arena. And this is where they definitely get revenge. So using magic, they burn down the arena. And that, that's definitely not a bad thing because um, not just for the sake of what happened to Siri, but because they would force animals to fight their monsters. Um, I, I know they would have humans fight, uh, aside from just Siri, I don't know uh, that it was always a willing thing or if it was like what happened with Siri where they were forced to do so. But you know that the animals were not choosing to do it. So um, it's definitely a good thing that this isn't going to exist anymore. And the owner, Huvenegal, was just this terrible, slimy man. And he was friends with Bonehar and he was um, profiting from Siri's treatment in, in Claremont that day. But he's outside and he's freaking out about his establishment burning. And it's a pretty satisfying moment to witness him going through that. And he even owned and operated the town's fire department. And they couldn't save the building. And they said that it was no ordinary fire. It was black magic. And there are citizens outside saying that it's divine punishment for the rumpuses held in what was previously a house of worship. So this used to be some kind of church. And they converted it into an arena where they would uh, commit these horrible things. And it clearly, it wasn't divine punishment, but it was a punishment that was very well deserved. So after Claremont, they're deciding where they'll go next. And it's noted how Geralt felt this very strong desire to embrace and protect Ciri and to never allow her to be alone or encounter evil or encounter anything that would make her desire revenge again. So we get a look into Geralt's emotions following the discovery of what Ciri's been through since they parted on Thaned, uh, which none of his emotions are really that surprising. Uh, <laughs> the, the fact that he feels like this sense of regret and this um, urgency to protect her and never let her be alone, never let her be put in a position where she would want to commit these acts of revenge again 
It makes sense, but it was a nice touch, I thought, that we got to see his perspective. It wasn't, it could have been passed over, but it wasn't. And Yennefer also, she's been very silent, and it's mentioned that she has spent a lot of time silent lately. So Yen is perhaps a bit broken after what she's been through. Also an unsurprising thing, um, in addition to the similar feelings that Geralt probably has for everything that happened to Ciri. So Yennefer was, uh, she went through that artifact compression and then she was treated like a criminal and then she was tortured and imprisoned for months. Um, so she is dealing with that on top of everything that she feels about uh, what Ciri's been through. And that results in her being particularly quiet. So they decide that they'll go to Unicorn next. And that was the town where Siri escaped from Boneheart. And she says that she needs Yennefer's magical help to give the residents a more tasteful totem. It's not exactly said what that is. But from there, she said that they'll go to the Paraplot Marshes so she can find Vaisagoda's remains as she knows that he died shortly after they parted ways and then she can give him a proper burial um so yeah there's another mention of her placing importance on people that she cares about or people that um deserve to be buried getting buried and then after paraplot she wants to go to dundare where she massacred Tawny Owlsman in the inn. And she wants to go there because when she did that, that probably led to the murder of the innkeeper and the burning down of his establishment. And she says that she wants to stand before his family in humili humility to create a memory that would stop her from ever making a similar mistake again. So Ciri's weariness for killing and revenge continues uh, showing that she's learning and she's growing because she wasn't really demonstrating any signs of thinking that revenge and I mean she's you know goes on kind of a little bit of a revenge path in this chapter I mean she goes to Claremont uh they burn down the arena I mean I don't think they kill anybody I think that that was probably like a more justified form of revenge rather than like if they could have gone to Claremont and tortured Huvenigel and killed him, but they don't, they don't do that. Um, but her, um, recent desire to kill anybody that wronged her, um, she's grown from that. She's not as, um, it's not something that she thinks is a good idea anymore. So uh, at least there's something to be said about all of the suffering that she has gone through, all of the evil. She's learned a little bit, and I don't know that what she is learning is really worth uh, what she had to pay for those lessons. But, I mean, the, 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 the things that she went through, they happened, and they can't be undone. So if there's anything to come out of it, then at least... Um, some growing and maturing could be one of those things. Well, as they're traveling, it's repeated that they're riding very fast and passing many people uncertain of what they've seen because they're going so fast. And then tales begin to start about the wild hunt and three spectral riders. So some people 
I think that maybe it's these um, three members of the wild hunt that are going by. And then more tales begin about the witcher and the sorceress and the tower of the swallow and, and Siri and um, Siri, the witcher girl and the enchanted mare Kelpie. And it's said that those tales came later but right now, the seed of the legend was growing inside people. So this is where the legend of Ciri the, that, um, that becomes famous in the future that Nimue was so obsessed with originated. This is um, about the time where it started to take off. Well, after they visit all the places Ciri wanted to go to, she excitedly heads off toward a Beltane festival and Geralt and Yen use this alone time together to get in a quickie. And afterwards, Yen asks Geralt if he'd been with any other women while they were apart, and he lies and says no, <laughs> which uh, she is reluctant to believe, even though uh, he says it quite convincingly. And this conversation, albeit brief and probably not too important, it's very illustrative of their relationship, this very beautiful, happy moment as they're kissing away each other's tears and surprised at how happy it made them. It's immediately followed by insecurity and deceit. I mean, on a very small level, it's not that severe. It's not severe at all. Uh, it's just interesting <laughs> to see that even after everything they both just went through, these old patterns still exist in their relationship. So uh, Siri's growing a lot. I don't know how much Yennefer and Geralt have grown, but uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, as they say. So maybe that's what's going on there. But like I said, it's probably not that important, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Well, one night they're camping and Geralt has a nightmare that was either him being partly awake or partly asleep or it was a prophetic dream because what he witnessed really did happen. Uh, he saw this brightness and inside it a room in Monte Calvo Castle with the lodge seated at a table and Philippa Eilhart demanding Yennefer to bring them Siri. And at first she says no. But then Siri says it's fine, she'll go, she's not afraid of them. Then Philippa threatens to punish disobedience, and then Yennefer agrees, but asks to let Siri stay with Geralt for a little while longer, and then Yennefer will just go right now. So the next day, Yennefer tells Geralt that she's leaving by herself, but then she's later going to summon Siri to join her. And she says that it's an imperative that cannot be opposed or postponed. So she must really be afraid of Philippa to be agreeing to do this because there's nothing in it for Yennefer to obey Philippa's wishes. Like the threat alone must be, it must be what has got her to do what Philippa wants. And I guess it wouldn't just be Philippa. It would be 10 sorceresses. So that makes her fear and compliance more understandable. But yeah, I, I don't know what exactly they would do to her, but she knows them better than we do. So I'm sure it must be something pretty bad. Uh, but before she finishes talking to Geralt, she tells him that when they meet again, she'll make up for everything, including the silence. So she's aware that she hasn't been her full self around him and she wants to get back to being able to do that again in the future. Well, while Geralt and Ciri have some time to spend together, he takes her to Toussaint wanting to show her the fairy tale land. And Ciri's justifiable cynicism has her doubtful that the fairy tale lands could even exist until they arrive in Toussaint and she sees the majestic views and the architecture of the castle. 
Um, Geralt tells her that they're going to that castle since he knows the Duchess. And Siri asks if the Duchess has green eyes and short black hair, obviously implying Fringilla. Uh, not that Siri knows who Fringilla is, but she's seen her and Geralt together in Visions, uh, which is gross. Uh, I don't remember if I talked about that in the chapter where it happened, but can you imagine seeing your dad together with a woman in a vision? Like it's just forced, that visual is forced into your brain. That's gross. Anyway, uh, this throws Geralt off a bit, but he just tells her no. And that the reason he knows the Duchess is because her consort candidate is Dandelion. So they're going to go see him. Uh, he goes to explain that he promised they'd return to Dandelion after... And he cuts off thinking about the company and how they all died. He's got to go break that news to Dandelion. That's something he's not looking forward to. Um, Siri tries to console him, telling him it's not his fault. He isn't going to be convinced of that, though, of course. Uh, so they take off toward Beauclair, and Geralt withdraws some money that he racked up during his stay there from the Witcher contracts, and he planned to give some of the money to Ciri so she could shop for nicer clothes since they're going to be going to the palace. But before they can go on their shopping spree, a large crowd gathers to see a public execution, and then they get trapped in the crowd before they can walk away. So the condemned is brought in for the execution, and they see it's Dandelion, and Geralt feels very bad upon seeing this. Everyone in the company just died, and as soon as he gets to Beauclair, Dandelion is about to be executed before his eyes. But luckily, of course, it doesn't happen. Anna Henrietta changes her mind in light of the peace of Sintra and has him banished instead. Um, the news of her change of heart almost arrived too late. They were just about to swing that axe, but Dandelion stalled the executioner. So first, when he gets up on the platform, he asks to address the townspeople, and then he just asks them how they're doing. <laughs> like, they, that's pretty much it. And he just, it's like, okay, we can proceed. And then uh, when the executioner asked him for forgiveness, uh, which, fun fact, was a real-life tradition in some places uh, for the headsman to ask for forgiveness before beheading the criminal, um, Dandelion told him no, which caused a delay as the headsman didn't want to move forward without being absolved of his sin. Uh, but then a tribunal member presents um, this offer of money to, um, instead of, in place of the um, forgiveness, which the executioner accepts, and then Dandelion quickly says, oh, by the way, I do forgive you. <laughs> so the uh, the guy wants his money back, um, which you, it seems like it would start like a, a little bicker, and I think that's what Dandelion's intention was, but the headsman is like, no, this is, this is enough. We're taking your head. We're going to do this. Hopefully I get it done in one swing. Uh, but then they... Um, the messenger shows up and tells them that the execution is called off. So then Geralt and Siri are able to catch up with Dandelion and they all have to leave Tucson. So uh, Dandelion says that Anna Henrietta caught him with another woman. So that was what he was being executed for. Um, but he thinks that she'll forgive him. Uh, he, he just needs to send her a ballot and she'll cool off. And Geralt doubts this. Um, Dandelion knows the Duchess better than Geralt does. Um, but still, I think that he, Dandelion just 
doesn't take things that seriously, doesn't always see the severity in a situation. So Geralt doubts this. Um, I don't know who knows who, who would be right about that, but I think Dandelion should definitely stay away because I can easily see that entire situation repeating itself if he were to turn. So um, yeah, let's just hope he doesn't return. But Geralt expresses this disappointment that before they had to flee, he didn't get the chance to reunite with and introduce Siri to Reynard de Bois-Fresnay. And with that mention, Dandelion drops the sad news that Reynard was killed during a skirmish with marauders. So that's another one of Geralt's friends who died. But at least this time, he can't blame himself for it. He can't feel any guilt for it. Well, a little while later, Geralt, Ciri, and Dandelion find this tree whose branches are used to hang messages, among other things, for people to see, uh, for people to pass messages messages along. Uh, there, Ciri finds her summoning from Yennefer, and then she has to say goodbye to Geralt so that she can go meet Yen and Vengerberg. Uh, so she tells him it'll only be six days until they see each other again. And they'll meet up in Rivia um, where he wants to surprise her with something. He doesn't say what, but he does say he wants uh, to have this little surprise ready in Rivia. Um, did I say Vengerberg? I know I mentioned Vengerberg when I meant to. That's where Siri's going to see Yennefer. If I said that, that's where they're going to, where all of them are going to reconvene. Uh, I meant Rivia. Anyway, um, Siri takes off to meet Yen in Vengerberg. So Geralt and Dandelion, it's just the two of them now, and they travel toward Rivia, and the landscape is pretty bleak following the war. There's lots of burial mounds and skeletons decorating the grass, as well as bodies hanging from trees, but also villages are being rebuilt, so there's something, I guess, kind of nice in that, but it still isn't a very nice sight that they're seeing. Um, it just looks like war-torn lands, and Dandelion mentions that something doesn't feel right. Uh, Geralt's a little dismissive of that, but um, Dandelion does notice that something something's off here, something's going on. But at night from their camp, they see fires in the distance and they hear people being murdered. And uh, Dandelion notices that Geralt has no reaction to this, which is a little different than what he was expecting to see from Geralt. Um, and then later, uh, as they're traveling, they see a long line of all kinds of people. So women, men, children, elderly, um, just ordinary looking citizens. Uh, they're all very silent. They're not speaking, uh, but despair and screams were written on their faces. So Dandelion asks one of the officers overseeing the march who these people are. And the guy tells him that they're Nilfgaardian settlers that are forced to go back to Nilfgaard per the Sintra Peace Treaty, which we learned in the previous chapter. Now, in this chapter, we're, we're seeing actual people affected by the demands of the treaty. Um, not every demand of the treaty, but this one in particular. So the officer is very hostile, and he talks about the Nilfgaardians like they're terrible people. He says they're traitors ready to stab us in the back. Basically, he talks about them like they're undeserving of kindness. And when he sees one carrying luggage on a cart, he orders them to seize the cart, and the man gets beaten because um, they're not supposed to uh, use a certain amount or um, like the luggage that they're carrying isn't supposed to be bigger than a certain amount, according to the pen the Sintra Peace Treaty. Um, but this is an up-close example of the lack of peace that comes out of peace. 
the war is over, and you'd think that would mean the end of violence and suffering, but as was demonstrated in the previous chapter, detrimental decisions that impact the little people were made by rulers for political reasons. And these people, although Nilf guardians, are mostly just minding their own business. I mean, there could be a question of whether or not their decision to move to recently conquered lands was ethical or not. I mean, they probably moved into recently burned down villages where all the villagers were murdered. Um, so there could you could there could be a question of that, but we really don't know the details around how this was offered to them or what they knew, what part they took and everything. So it may be incredibly wrong for them to be treated the way that they are being treated. Um, and there's actually one officer who says that they think or he thinks that they should just be left alone. Like we should just let them do their thing since they're farming and they've been um, you're producing a lot of food and it's something that we should allow them to continue doing for the sake of you know eating not starving famine is a common thing in war and war only just ended so um yeah he makes a pretty good argument but the other guy uh the one that was way more aggressive about the nilf guardians tells him that he's thick as pig shit so uh he's just shut down immediately and as Geralt and Dandelion are about to walk away, they hear the desperate screams of a woman in great pain, and Dandelion begs Geralt not to intervene. But he says, risk my neck for some noble principles or ideas? No, not any longer. So Geralt is showing signs of change. Uh, I just talked about how you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Geralt and Yennefer, unlike Ciri, haven't really shown a lot of development. Um, but he is doing things a little bit differently. We'll see how long this lasts, if it lasts at all. Um, but throughout the whole series, we've frequently have seen Geralt conflicted between his Witcher principles of neutrality and defending the weak and innocent, since you know he's physically capable of doing so. But now he just accepts that this is how the world is, and his involvement isn't going to change anything. These things will continue to happen. He's gotten involved, and evil lives on. Evil continues. Well, at night, Geralt starts to dream of Yennefer and Ciri at a lodge meeting, which does take place. So he sees what's actually going on, and uh, we'll start talking about how this meeting goes now because then the scene switches to them at the lodge meeting. So we're done with Geralt in this chapter. Well, Philippa welcomes Siri to the meeting, and Siri remembers seeing her on Thanad um, in the form of her self, her Philippa self, and as an owl. Uh, so in her head, Siri ref refers to Philippa as Madame Owl. Actually, I do think there is one moment where she does address her as Madame Owl. Um, nobody really says anything about it, though, if that's the case. So all of the usual members are there, and some of them smile at Siri, like Tris and Margarita, who've met her before, and Philippa invites her to sit down. And when she invites her to sit down, Yen tries to sit and Philippa sharply denies her the privilege of sitting. So right out the gate, we can see they have not forgiven Yen for abandoning the lodge when she did, which is pretty ridiculous <laughs> considering she didn't even show up to the first meeting by choice. Francesca basically made her come. And I can understand if they were worried about Yen disclosing the secret of the lodge's ex existence, 
And maybe they're suspicious that she did actually disclose of it because we learned in the previous chapter that Dijkstra has become aware of the Lodge's existence. Um, but he didn't say where he learned it from, but I think maybe that that's that could be a possible um, suspect that they have. But either way, I think Yen's treatment is pretty unreasonable given the circumstances. Um, but Shayla suggests, uh, Shayla of all people is kind of strange. Uh, she suggests that Yen should be allowed to sit today and then the other members give these approving nods. So they sit and Philippa tells Siri that she has an important role to play and Siri kind of snaps at her and says, oh, I know, I know all, all about that. Vilgefort's explained it to me. And then Shayla interjects with a lot of scolding and there's lots of comparing Siri to a kitten who needs to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck. So Siri goes to speak up at one point while she's being scolded and compared to a kitten. Um, and Shayla, she stops her before she can interrupt. And she says, don't you dare open your mouth while Shayla de Tangerville is speaking, uh, which scares the crap out of Siri, along with some of the other members at the table. So like she's done before, Shayla shows that she's very domineering and has a quite intimidating way of speaking. So Shayla then tells Siri that Siri is the future of the world, which is something Siri is used to hearing, uh, but she doesn't want to explain why they find her so important, but instead Philippa just tells her what they're going to have Siri do. And she says that Siri will join um, herself and Shayla on a trip to Kovir to meet Prince Tancred, uh, the son of Esther Ed Tyson, we've talked about him before, and become his lover and bear his child. This is something that we already know. Uh, we already knew that they wanted to do this, but in light of recent developments in the world, they've had to make a few adjustments to this plan. So since the fake Siri is successfully being passed off to the world as the real Siri and ruler of Sintra with her betrothed Amir, uh, they cannot try and marry her to Tyson anymore as Siri of Sintra, but instead are going to say that she's just some random mage pupil. So they're explaining to her that they're basically going to prostitute her out and they try to soften this information and they try to soften this news by saying it's very important for the good of the world and we'll provide for the future and position of your child after you have the baby and you'll be one of us. So they're telling her they're going to force her to do something as big and uh life-changing as having a baby and with a man that she's never met but it's cool don't worry about it it's cool because we're going to treat you as an equal later on like once you do that you're you're part of the group it's just, it's not too different from how politics works in royal families and feudal societies and siri was a princess this is something that would probably have happened in another way you know you're forced into an arranged marriage with someone you don't know who you have to reproduce with so when you consider that the lodge's orders here are not entirely outrageous but they're not her parents nor do they have any formal rights or power over her so it's ridiculous that they feel so justified in making these non-negotiable demands for siri but it's just another example of the arrogance that they have they mostly philippa believe that they have the right to decide the fate of the world no matter who it affects they think that um it's just it's just so arrogant 
So Shayla tells Siri that they'll have to invent some personal details for her and give her a surname. I said she can keep the name Cirilla. Uh, she suggests the name Tankerville. Um, Philip, of course, suggests Eilhart. But Siri says that she wants to be called Siri of Engerberg, daughter of Yennefer. And Philippa says that the matter is settled. And Siri says, nope, I got to think this over. And I'm scheduled, uh, looks at her watch. I'm scheduled to meet Geralt soon, so I'll get back to you on this. And she's not really understanding that they're not giving her a choice. Um, she doesn't understand it or she's refusing to accept it, which does go along with her insolent attitude towards those who push her around. I'm not sure what they would do with her if she disobeyed their wishes. Um, same way, I'm not sure what they would do with Yennefer if she disobeyed what they wanted, but I'm sure they have the means to force her to do it um, or at least, the very least, make her regret not doing what they want. Uh, but they do quickly show her that the decision certainly isn't hers when they decide to vote on whether or not they'll allow her to go see Geralt. Um, so they're making, um, like they're all going to sit around and vote on, they all have their reasons for like the ones who vote no, uh, for why they're voting no, but um, it's just another great example. Um, like how limited her choice is, how much control they're trying to take over her. Like they're trying to vote on whether or not she can go see Geralt, this man she considers a father who um, she's been destined to. Everybody knows about their relationship. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they, it's just, it's pretty shitty. Um, so before they vote, uh, she tells them that she needs to see Geralt and convince him that she's not a naive child anymore and to make him understand that she's not beguiled by the Lodge's promises of nobility and platitudes about the good of the world. Um, and it's important, it's important to the Lodge that he understands this. Uh, she's basically threatening them with Geralt's vengeance. Um, so they move on to vote. Sabrina says no because she doesn't like that Siri made that threat. Frangilla surprisingly says yes. And this could have been a perfect moment for her to get revenge on Geralt, not allowing him to see Ciri again um, for the Rice Rune Castle incident. But she exhibits class and maturity by saying that she's, um, she's saying yes for Geralt. She says um, to find Ciri, he went to the end of the world fighting everything that stood in his way, even himself, which is super nice and thoughtful of her. Uh, even though she's a member of this um, sick group. Uh, but Triss says yes to letting her go. Not That's not surprising. Triss has a, a special place in her heart for Siri. Uh, she even offers to accompany Siri and to also help her convince um, Geralt of the things she wants to convince Geralt of. And then all the votes besides Philippa's are casted and you'd think that Philippa, out of all members, would vote no. She's the de determining vote here because they're evenly split at this point. Uh, but she looks at Siri and she reflects on a moment from her childhood. She makes a speech about how she recently started believing in destiny and that destiny is hope. And then she votes yes for Siri, the child of destiny, the child of hope. So then Siri and Yennefer leave to meet Geralt in Rivia. And that's how the chapter ends. So closing thoughts, um, the scenes from the beginning of the chapter where Geralt and Yen accompany um, and help Siri visit the places where she experienced all the tragedies and evils throughout her journey um, 
it was really, it was entertaining. It was a great way to provide some closure to all of those things. And I, I liked it a lot because Sapkowski could have easily omitted that part, but I'm glad that he didn't since we've come to know these characters so well um, that seeing the emotional impact and trauma um, and some minor recovery from everything we witness them go through, it feels very satisfying. Um, so I really do appreciate that all of that was included. And we get to see them spend some time together too, which is good because we've been um, wanting, like that's been the goal for a long time now is for them to all be reunited. So the reunion's good, but getting to see them actually together and enjoying each other's company is good, even though it's a little bittersweet because um, yeah, they've been through hell and back. So I'm also glad that we got to see Dandelion again. I'm glad he wasn't like most of Geralt's friends and he got to survive, um, which isn't really that shocking uh since we see dandelion almost lose his life a lot and then um somehow reel out of it at the last second um plus his attitude <laughs> toward the situation was classic dandelion just so nonchalant cracking jokes um yeah just how you would expect it to go but in, in a way that, that that works well it's just kind of, it's pretty perfect um I thought it was good that we got to see the fallout of the piece of Sintra from the POV of people who were experiencing the results firsthand. And I think that these books always did a good job of showing the juxtaposition of how rulers make political decisions and what is driving them to make those decisions. And then the impact that they have on the average Joe, just the regular citizen. So um, that was a nice, even though we didn't get to see everything, uh, which I mean, who's asking to see every little thing from the perspective of every person that was impacted by it. Um, but it was still good that we got to see something there. Um, and then the lodge meeting, of course. So that was, it was very frustrating, not um, because of the writing, but because those characters are just, um, and not every lodge member I think is totally evil. I don't even know how it's, it's hard to say. We don't know a lot of them that well, but yeah, Shayla is obnoxious. Philippa does something good in the end there, but I mean, her just thinking that she can just push everybody around and make these unreasonable demands. Uh, it's just, it's nothing unexpected after we got to know her as much as we did. Um, but yeah, some of them at least, most of them, maybe you could even say all of them, it's hard to say, but they are an audacious bunch. Okay, looking ahead, they're all heading to meet in Rivia, Geralt, Ciri, Yennefer. Um, in chapter one of this book, Ciri is alone in a moment in the future from where we are now in the story uh, when she meets Galahad, one of King Arthur's boys, and tells him that her friends died in Rivia. So we can just uh, get ready to expect someone to die soon. If you've read it, I know you know what happens, but um, I will not, I'm not going to start doing it. I never have. I'm not going to start now, including spoilers in these episodes. I, I won't say what happened, but um, yeah, just based on context from everything that we've learned up until now, yeah, we can definitely expect um, somebody, some people, maybe even, we'll see, to die. Also, since um, Siri tells the story from the future in another world, 
it looks like the Lodge isn't going to get what they want out of her. Like, they wanted her to go to Covier and have a baby with Tancred Tyson. So, yeah, I don't think that that's going to happen. So, I mean, I don't want anybody to die, but um, her going to Rivia and then traveling from there to another world means that she doesn't have to be a part of the Lodge. I mean, that's probably a good thing because, I don't know, they say it's for the good of the world. And, hey, maybe it is, but um, Siri doesn't owe them anything. She doesn't owe the Lodge anything. Okay, that is all I have for you in this one. Oh gosh, in the next episode, we're going to be covering the final chapter of the series. And we will, of course, move on to Season of Storms. I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to break that out. I'm not doing 19 weeks worth of um, that book. Uh, it might be like a three-part, five-part, ten-part um, series I'm going to have to figure it out after I actually crack that book open and start reading, but we'll go from there. Um, we'll figure it out. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, <laughs> these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. Thank you so much for joining and I will catch you all in the next episode.